Through our many engagements daily, we support airmen in emergency financial distress, we help their families achieve their educational goals, and we improve quality of life through our proactive community programs. This is Airmen Helping Airmen, a podcast brought to you by the Air Force Aid Society and our generous donors who support airmen and their families. Each episode, we will strive to bring a smile, spark an idea, or perhaps even having you shed a tear. We will share airmen and their family stories in their voice and show you how the Airmen Helping Airmen philosophy still drives our mission today. But why is that important? Because none of it's possible without you. The Air Force Aid Society was chartered March 9, 1942, as the Army Air Forces Aid Society. When it was founded by Happen B. Arnold, they were responding to the tremendous losses that the new Army Air Corps, the new Air Force airmen were suffering during the bombing missions in World War II. Hap Arnold at that point and, and his wife B, fairly early on in, in America's involvement in the war, decided that there was a need to make sure that this growing Air Corps identity uh, the group of people who formed the Air Corps were taken care of, not just during the war, but post-war. General Arnold's vision was that airmen ought to be able to take care of airmen. And so that was the genesis of it, creating an Air Force Aid Society before there was even an Air Force was absolutely visionary. The Air Force Aid Society has a storied history of outstanding individuals who come to serve the society in many different in many different posts. And one notable would be Eddie Rickenbacker. Famous World War I ace, founder of Eastern Airlines, who was uh, our longest serving board president. General Arnold spent a, a good part of his career in Southern California. He had some interesting um, acquaintances and ties with folks in the entertainment industry. Moss Hart was commissioned by General Arnold to write a play that talked to the, what it took to be an airman and made a movie. In the first 30 or 40 years of the Air Force Aid Society's life, contributions exceeded the need in any one year. And as a result of that, we were able to build up a corpus. Uh, and that corpus then grew on its own through a lot of good years. It's, it's a great story. It really becomes an intergenerational support system where yesterday's veterans are taking care of today's veterans, just as they were taken care of by a generation of veterans ahead of them. In these turbulent times that we have today, we cannot forget about the rule of the wingman. You never fall off the wing. You're always there to support your leader. And we take care of one another. The wingman is, is a person that you depend on to help you out. Uh, when you're in trouble, when you're on the battlefield, uh, if you're, I'm not a pilot, but when you're flying, if you're flying in formation and you encounter some challenges, your wingman is that person, a wingwoman that's watching your back. And we are truly airmen helping airmen. That phrase has stood at the core of the Air Force Aid Society since its inception. But what does it truly mean? How do they help? Why do they help? Is this even a thing still? Well, of course. This is a podcast brought to you by the Air Force Aid Society. On this inaugural episode, I had the honor of talking with the Air Force Aid Society CEO, Lieutenant General John D. Hopper Jr., United States Air Force retired, 
and one of the Air Force Aid Society's distinguished volunteer trustees, Major General Alfred K. Flowers, United States Air Force retired, who also holds the distinction of being the longest serving airman on record with the United States Air Force, as well as the longest serving African-American service member in the Department of Defense. These two airmen have accomplished a lot in their service to the country and have seen the Air Force A Society, in a sense, grow up through the ranks. To understand the dynamics of this relationship between General Hopper and General Flowers, you have to realize where it all started. General Flowers didn't start as an officer. In fact, he started as an enlisted airman. All stories have a beginning. In fact, General Flowers starts with his grandmother, $94 and $30. But how does that all tie together with the Air Force Aid Society? Well, it started in December of 1947 when I was born. And then uh, I, I lived with my grandparents all my life until I came into the military. My grandfather passed when I was 15 years old. He had uh, massive heart attacks and passed. And my grandmother and I, we stopped the farming because we couldn't do it. We just didn't have the wherewithal to do it. And at 17 years old, when I graduated from high school, I asked her to sign for me to come into the Air Force. And reluctantly, she did. And I think you you probably see in the book that uh, when I left to go to the, uh, the examining station, her words were, well, you'll be back tomorrow because, you know, you won't pass because of, of your back. And uh, unfortunately, that was not true. I did pass. And, uh, and I knew that. Her saying that was wanting me, wanting me to, wanting me to come back. But I left, and uh, the ninety-four dollars a month is what I was making as an airman at Grand Forks Air Force Base, North Dakota. And of that ninety-four dollars a month, I saved thirty of it every month. And with that thirty dollars a month that I saved, I managed to buy a a house trailer for my grandmother. And she lived there until she went to a nursing home. So it's just, uh, you know, values that are instilled in you when you're young, giving back to those in need and helping everyone that you can to the extent that you can. So that's how that story ties together. It wasn't until after then Master Sergeant Flowers got accepted to the OTS program where he met General Hopper, a soon-to-be mentor, or was it the other way around? General Hopper is uh, one of my best mentors. He was in the J-4 on the Joint Staff when I was a young lieutenant colonel on the Joint Staff. And I used to watch him around the Joint Staff and in the Pentagon. And he always carried himself with utmost pride, professionalism, and he always cared about people. Mentored the AFCO map, Air Force officer uh, mentoring program. And uh, General Hopper was one of the strong mentors for that. So, and later on, when I was uh, a little older colonel, I was uh, hired by General Hornberg at AETC to be the controller. And guess who the vice commander was? Another hands-on mentoring opportunity for General Hopper to help Airman Flowers get it right. And he did. Okay, well, nothing sounds too off about that. Mentor stepping in for mentee. General Flowers is one of those very quiet but sort of iconic figures in uh, in Air Force history and Air Force leadership. He is the same person now that started that journey 50 years ago. And uh, most of us 
can't say that. We change along the way. We are altered, some for the good, some for the bad, but we can't claim that sort of consistency, that ability to, to take life on its own terms and turn it around, make it better for yourself, make it better for others. And that's just what General Flowers has done throughout his career as a young airman himself, then certainly throughout his career as an officer and then senior leader in our Air Force, and a senior leader that even post-retirement, whose opinion, whose thoughts are continually in demand. So if it sounds like I want to be just like General Flowers when I grow up, then you would be absolutely right. There's no doubt the admiration between General Hopper and General Flowers. But I had to ask General Flowers how he got the abilities or the, the wherewithal to do all the things he did. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty easy. I, I get asked that question a lot, but uh, I, uh, I explain it in pretty simple terms. It's about uh, humility, getting outside of yourself, and knowing that others make you what you are. None of us are smart enough to make ourselves who we become. It's because of others that help along the way. And you can, uh, you can never substitute humility with arrogance because when you do, you're headed for a bad, bad day and a lot of bad years. Be humble. Do your best every day at whatever you attempt to do and uh, treat people like you want to be treated. What was your first interaction with the Air Force Aid Society? My, my very first action with Air Force Aid Society was... Uh, in 1966, when I was a one-striper airman at Grand Forks Air Force Base, North Dakota. And I had a sick grandmother that they didn't think was going to make it. And the Red Cross had sent a notification to the folks at Grand Forks that I should come home on emergency leave. Well, Airman Flowers didn't have quite enough money to buy an airplane ticket to go home. So I went to, uh, back there in those days, and we didn't have the Family Readiness Center like we have today with all the counselors and all the resources that, uh, that could aid and, and guide folks in the right direction. You'd go to your squadron orderly room and talk to uh, an admin NCO, and they would get you in to see the first sergeant, and the first sergeant would send you down to CBPO to the personal affairs section. That's, that's who managed Air Force Aid Society. And I went through that process and got the money to go home and be with my, my sick grandmother. And uh, I've been nothing but appreciative, thankful, and supportive ever since. And there are thousands of stories like that over the thousands of people that's been helped by Air Force Aid Society, or millions of people that, uh, that are out there. My experience was a little bit different in that you often don't get a chance to command until later in your career. And so I was fortunate enough to command a field maintenance squadron at uh, good old McGuire Air Force Base. Flying jets is great fun. It's fascinating and lots of responsibility and interesting places and interesting things. But there's nothing like trying to provide some leadership and mission focus to, to a squadron. The typical maintenance squadron in those days, the field maintenance squadron, had about 700 plus people. There were numerous opportunities to head people over to the Air Force Aid Society. I remember one in particular that I still think about now. The, the airman had done something really not good at all. 
that caused him to be fairly severely punished. But the problem was that when you punish an airman, sometimes that punishment gets to their pocket so that the money that they were making is no longer there. But that airman still has a family. My goodness, you're trying to balance that out. And the Air Force Aid Society stepped in on a couple of occasions for me, thank goodness, to be able to make sure that we were taking care of that family uh, while this airman is, is getting his head on straight uh, so that he could get back and be productive and mission-focused again. And so it was, first of all, uh, gratifying to see the airman's reaction when they had a chance to fix something up that had gotten away from them a little bit, and uh, usually through no fault of their own. The Air Force Aid Society was able to step in and do that. But why is the Air Force Aid Society important to you? It's important to me because it's airmen helping airmen and airmen's families. Most of us do something not too wise as young airmen or young officers. Or just because you do something that's not too wise doesn't mean that you should seek wise assistance and wisdom to help you overcome and get you back on track. And I think that the Air Force Aid Society uh, does that extremely well, especially with the format we have today with the Family Airmen and Readiness Center and all the resources that are available. It's, uh, it's, it's Today is unlike anything close to what it was in the past. After you spend what you might call your working life serving with, alongside, for, advocating for airmen, it gets hard to give that up. The other side of that is I can remember in going through the transition program when it was, uh, the, it was sort of like, what do you want to be when you grow up now that you're about to leave the Air Force? <laughs> I would guess that two-thirds of us in the room raised our hands and said, we want to work for a nonprofit. We'd like to work for a nonprofit. Of that two-thirds, I would tell you that I think I'm the only one that lucked out and was able to do that. And to be able to do that for one that supports airmen is, uh, is pretty much a dream come true. So how does the Air Force Aid Society operate? The key place is the intake point where the airman goes to get help. Uh, for us right now, that's the Airman and Family Readiness Center. And those folks that work in there, the, the Air Force Aid Society officer and his or her staff, I, I believe that they have the toughest job in the world uh, because they have to sit across from the airman and uh, decipher uh, what's going on with them and what's the most effective way to support them. Um, sometimes uh, that's a no-interest loan. Sometimes that's a grant. And then I'll steal a word from my esteemed colleague, General Mason at Army Emergency Relief. Sometimes it's a combination of a loan and a grant, which he calls a groan, which I think is a, is a great description. The idea is, uh, is we need to stop the bleeding. And then in addition to that, we need to make sure that we, with the, we show them or give them an opportunity to learn how to take some steps so that they don't necessarily have to come back. From that intake, it becomes uh, a, to a mission totally focused on what's the best way to help this particular area. Yeah, everything that General Hopper said, I concur a thousand percent. But then I'd like to put it in a different context, your question.
Well, number one is because they're human beings and they're serving in the greatest country in the world and doing it willingly. No, no draftees today. They're all volunteers trying to make a difference in the in this profession of arms, serving. Number two is every one of those airmen that come into that family uh, and readiness center um, have an important mission. Every mission in the Air Force is important. And uh, one of the things that, that I, that really touched my heart, I was, I was out at, uh, at one of our B2 bases. We only got one. And I went into the hangar and I saw a two striper airman lying on his back, repairing the composite skin on a B2. And, you know, when you got that kind of talent and those people making that kind of difference, and they have a emergency, a family emergency, or whatever type of emergency. You can need rent, utilities, car payments, whatever. We ought to be willing, just like we are, to step up and help and base it on the needs of that person. If it's somebody that want to pay a loan back, can pay it back, let them pay it back. But if it's someone that can't, um, a grant is the thing to do. And I, you know, General Hopper, one of the things that he's done, and he's very modest about it, he doesn't talk about it, but he had moved a lot from loans to grants because most airmen that need a loan, they can't pay their rent or can't pay their car payment or can't buy gasoline, uh, how are they going to pay back a loan? Most of them can't pay back a loan because they got where they are. Uh, oftentimes through bad management and until they get the help to help them manage better and make smarter decisions, they, they can't pay back a loan. So one of the things that General Hopper has guided the, the society towards is needs-based loans and grants. And uh, it, it's, it's an amazing machine. How do you combat the stigma of getting help? You're always battling that stigma. The key uh, interaction that takes place with that caseworker that's talking to that uh, airman enlisted or that airman officer uh, that has a problem. For first, and the, and the first thing that they have to have to do, have to exhibit, is empathy to to literally put themselves in that seat and think about how hard it is to come in and tell a perfect stranger that guess what, I screwed up and can't pay my rent. I screwed up and can't make my car payment or however you want to describe how you got in your situation. Uh, the bottom line is that you, that you didn't manage your assets uh, or your time very well. That is not an easy thing to do. For one thing, the Air Force doesn't uh, necessarily recruit and accept people that are used to making mistakes and, and, uh, and, and putting themselves in that position. So when they do, uh, and have to man up or woman up to talk about that, it, it, accept the fact and understand and empathize that they're about to do something that's probably absolutely against their nature. That's stand up to a mistake and then admit that they need help. After you've done that, then it's time to go to work and say, I understand that. How can we help you? And, and figure that out for the airman or, or for the officer that's, uh, that needs the help. But the first thing is, uh, in that casework, literally, they, they can't have a bad day. They can't transfer their day to, to whatever 
uh, is going on with the person sitting across from them. The caseworkers are just critically important, and we really appreciate uh, the lengths that they will go to. And, and uh, more often than not, uh, literally, sometimes 100% of the time, they instantly become that airman's advocate to make sure that we find the right fix for their individual problem. And it all translates to mission. Yep. Because an airman that's got an emergency, a problem at home, is likely to carry something to work that's not desirable. And it translates to mission accomplishment. Why would I come to the Air Force Aid Society when there's a lot of alternatives off base? Folks out there that, that just prey on airmen that are in need. And you, you, they give them high loans, rates, and short paybacks which exacerbates the problem. That doesn't help solve it. That makes it worse. I think uh, one of the things that the, the counselors in the Airmen and Family Readiness Center uh, do is they are not judgmental, and they're not, they're not there to criticize. They're there to help. And uh, they, they put airmen at ease with knowing that they're there to help, and airmen will give them what they need to know so that they can help. We're a private organization, but we're an Air Force team member. We don't require an airman to go to his or her first sergeant or his or her commander before they come see us. But on both sides of that equation, uh, we tell an airman that, you know, if, if you're presenting us with, with something that's a little bit unusual or out of the ordinary, your best advocate is your first sergeant or squadron commander. And to squadron commanders and first sergeants, I would offer uh, their side of the equation that the very best ones, the, the really good ones, they know what's going on with their airmen and when they need some help. And so they're bringing them to us, sending them to us uh, before the airman has a chance to figure out where's the best place to go to get some help. We actually designed a program, which we call the Falcon Loan, which is a quick loan. Uh, where the airman goes in with the minimum amount of paperwork. All they do is validate to us that it's that the money's going to be used for one of the things that we can spend money for. And uh, they can get up to $1,000. We, uh, we ask them to pay that back in a year. And it uh, keeps them away from, we think, from the payday lenders. And uh, the one-year payback, we think, is, is uh, manageable within uh, the normal uh, salary that they're making. When it comes to legacy, what do you see that as? Yeah, I see that as uh, all the folks that I've led and mentored and worked with over the years. Um, so it, they're just people that will be left behind when I'm gone, that will carry on and do everything that they can to help like I tried to instill in them. I guess legacy to me is, is a hopeful sort of thing. At the top of that list, I hope I leave the society in a stronger position than, than when I got there. The people that you work with, work for, that work for you uh, on the way up and on the way out, um, you always have to be mindful that you are affecting so many people uh, as you move through the world uh, simply by the way you walk, talk, and the opinions you express, the character that you manifest, and 
the things that they all say about you. And uh, I've tried to, uh, I guess the saying is walk the walk and, and talk the talk and make sure that uh, I'm always mindful that uh, the, everything you do and everything you say attaches itself to you and it ought to mean something. Uh, it's interesting that this influence of grandparents, uh, my dad was a career army NCO, uh, but for stability in my young life, and because he had just joined the army and was in Saipan that entire time, that first two years of my life. And so my grandmother played a huge, his mother, he was an only child, a huge part uh, in that particular part of my life and through and throughout my life. So let's say you come in contact with your younger airman self and you saw they might have been in some trouble what advice would you give them pertaining around the air force aid society first thing i would have done is explain to him that the, the the importance of what you were doing to support the air force's mission the second thing is that it's it's not detrimental uh to have and you're going to have challenges but the key is and you'll make mistakes. The big key there is make new mistakes and learn from the old ones. Um, I, I would put it in a rehabilitative kind of format that, hey, this isn't the end of the world. Uh, you're making a valuable contribution. You will continue to make a valuable contribution. We just want to help you over this bump. So uh, I, I would advise the young airman or the young officer uh, that, uh, first of all, uh, you need to be ready to do your mission at a moment's notice. That's that's what you signed up for. That's what we trained you to do. That's what we expect you to do. That's what America needs you to do. Things that get in the way of that uh, don't need to be there. If they distract from your ability to do the mission, your ability to take care of and support your family, uh, then those things are, are counterproductive and uh, detrimental to you and detrimental to the mission. So sometimes you have to swallow a little bit of pride, uh, but always keep your focus on making yourself and keeping yourself mission ready. And what do you see or hope for in the future of the Air Force Aid Society? That it continues to be the go-to solution for airmen that, uh, that have a problem. And in fact, at least for the short term, the go-to solution for members of the Space Force that have a problem. And so the Air Force Aid Society of the future will, I think, place an increased emphasis on fundraising because we like to brag that for every dollar that's donated to us, we dedicate $3 to helping airmen. But we can only do that uh, if we're able to continue raising money. We're a four-star charity, according to Charity Navigator. They grade pretty tough, and they think we're doing a pretty good job of uh, raising that money and taking care of our mission. So that's what I would hope, is that we're able to continue down that path. Well, I hope for the same things for the Air Force State Society. But one of the things that, that troubles me today, and it has been for several years now, is the decline in contributions of airmen. And I would hope that our leaders in the future would help us spread the word about what Air Force Aid Society does for all of those in need in the Air Force and families, and that we could turn that curve somehow and see more contributions from airmen, active duty, retirees, and uh, officers. 
there's never going to be a utopia where there will be all airmen that doesn't have any challenges financially. We've got to have a two-pronged approach. We've got to help ourselves by contributing, and we've got to be astute enough to spread the word so that others will want to help even more. Many are helping now, and we want new donors, and those that are currently donating, we want to continue them and sustain them, keep them around. So that's kind of my hope for it, and uh, I think uh, it'll continue to go forward. General Hopper found it in good shape, and he's leave, he'll leave it in better shape. And the next person will, uh, I hate to have to walk in those shoes. We've heard where you came from, what you've done, but what's next for you? What's next for me? Um, you know, I, I serve on, uh, today I'm on six nonprofit foundations. Uh, I'm, I'm rolling off of the Air Force Aid Society and Fisher House uh, in the next couple of months. But I still have four more. I serve on the Airman Heritage Foundation. I chair of the Endeavors Board. That's uh, the focus is veterans with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and veteran homelessness. That's about a $70 million a year foundation that I chair, and I spend a lot of time with that. Um, I'm on the Arnold Air Society. We're mentoring soon-to-be young officers about the Air Force. And uh, I serve on the on the Master Leadership San Antonio Board as the chairman of the Finance Committee. So uh, there's still plenty to do, and it's all given back. Uh, and occasionally I consult some and uh, somebody pay me. But this isn't about pay. This is about giving back and making a contribution because you've been so blessed over your career that uh, giving back makes you feel good. Well, like uh, General Plowers, I guess I guess we forgot about the part that says uh, you need to get rich. Uh, an organization called the Falcon Foundation, which works to raise money to uh, provide scholarships for young men and women that were uh, just a little bit below the cut line and in getting into the Air Force Academy. So uh, this is a, a scholarship to uh, to send them off to uh, a prep school. Virtually 90 plus percent of them will get an appointment to the Air Force Academy or perhaps another service academy. And I also chair a federal commission for the for the VA that uh, meets out in Los Angeles that focuses on about 390 acres in, uh, in uh, West LA that was uh, deeded by two families a couple of hundred years ago for to establish a soldier's home. And uh, over time, uh, they, the land got a little bit uh, diverted as a result of the lawsuit, they created an oversight board, which, which I chair, which uh, is working with uh, the uh, the hospital, the VA hospital, uh, which sits on part of that land, as well as uh, some uh, community uh, groups to uh, restore that uh, national home for veterans. And sir, when you see that package come across your desk or for a new airman getting help or for a new donor or an airman deciding to donate, what, what is that feeling? It's, it is an aha moment. This idea of airmen helping airmen really just acknowledges that the Air Force is a family. It's a, it's a community that uh, we have an obligation to uh, support each other, to uh, help each other, to mentor each other, to lead, to follow, uh, to make each other better in everything that we do. 
and the Air Force Aid Society, I think, uh, hope does its part because every every family uh, they're going to have some rough patches, and uh, our job is to make sure that we get our airmen over those rough patches just as soon as we can. Because as General Flowers has said a couple of times now, uh, what we do, what we sign up to do, what they sign up to do now is much bigger than ourselves. Uh, the frontiers of freedom are, are far and wide, and often you serve uh, far away from home, but never, never uh, without your Air Force family. And the Air Force Aid Society is a part of that. Uh, my sincere thanks to General Flowers for spending this time with us. And uh, I'm, uh, every time I'm with him, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, of what it means to give back. So thank you, General Flowers. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your leadership, your mentorship, and all that you've given to our great Air Force and to me personally. I, I'm forever indebted. Thanks to General Flowers and General Hopper for being on this episode. Don't forget, without you, none of this is possible. So if you'd like to support your airmen, go to Air Force Aid Society's webpage at afas.org and click Donate. But don't forget, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to the podcast. We're on all major podcast platforms. I'm Desmond Ferris, and this was Airmen Helping Airmen. See you next week.